and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit which is given to us. Christian Hope, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and I'm here with my friends Jim Durkin. Howdy. And Michael Harden. Hi. And uh, we're living on the edge today. We didn't have a solid topic, and Michael just said, let's talk about Christian hope and just hit record. So we're we're freestyling today. So, uh, so here we go. <laughs> Christian hope. What comes to mind when you think of Christian hope? So concludes the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> the old song, my hope is fixed on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. <laughs> That's the first thought. And then we break it down. What does that mean? <laughs> I think for a, a good number of Christians and, and for a good number of um, years in my life, my hope was that when the score is all counted, I was uh, good enough to make it into heaven. I think there was a period of time where my hope was almost uh, day-to-day. I hope I have a better day today than I did yesterday. Or I hope my trial that I've been in for the last year is soon coming to a close. Uh Hope is an interesting word. Uh, it's it's interesting because Scripture tells us that there's three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. But hope is something that abides. And yet I think uh, in all reality, hopefully we'll uh, do a good job at covering this subject today. But I think in all reality, most Christians have no idea of what hope really is what what our hope is supposed to be all right good good thoughts there jim how about you michael yeah when i was you know i i, I grew up catholic and um so i didn't think much about anything then i became a, a born again baptist at 18 you know fundamentalist schofield bible carry all that kind of stuff and now i had this eschatology implanted in my head you know uh, and then that that all fell apart you know in, in not too too long a time um and uh, that was replaced with a more, I don't know what to call it, wishy, wishful, wish fulfillment, just wishing, you know. Hoping was wishing. And uh, one of the things that, that I've had to learn over, over the course of my life is there's a very, very big difference between wishing and wanting and hope. We, we pray in the church and we say we're hopeful. And what that means is, well, if we're lucky, God will act a certain way and then then everything will be taken care of. That's that that was for a long time the mode I was operating in. And um 
as I've as I've gotten older, and the Anabaptist tradition has kind of had its influence in my thinking, it really struck me. Uh, while the New Testament uses the word hope an awful lot, it it doesn't tell us what produces hope. Where does hope come from? What is hope? Well, I'd like to just read a text to you, and then see if we can begin to shift the conversation about what hope is. So. Since we have been rectified by trusting the Father's message of love, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through him that we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that. Okay, so we rejoice in this marvelous reality that we're going to participate in, right? However, Paul is understanding this, however, you're, how our auditors are receiving this, this is an amazing thing. It's whatever this glory of God is, it's all grace, first of all. And everything's been rectified, and we trust that, we live in that. Okay. But then, interestingly enough, he doesn't stay there. He says, more than that. Okay, this is um, it's a form of a rabbinic argument, Val Kahomer, which uh, Jesus used frequently. If you were good children, how much more were your father? Okay. Okay. So we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. How much more then shall we rejoice in our blessings? It doesn't say that. <laughs> shall we rejoice in our sufferings? Whoa. Now, okay, now the tables are turned here because suffering almost always produces in us uh, not joy. And this is this kind of suffering here is, uh, Paul's not talking about existential suffering like we have in our world today. We're talking about real suffering, the, 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 the disenfranchised, the poor, the impoverished, that are truly suffering under authoritarian rule, that are suffering under... Um, extreme stress and duress in their lives, lack of nutrition, lack of medical care, and lack of sanitation. I mean, all the stuff that goes with that. Suffering, suffering socially, uh, suffering in communities that are fighting, okay? We rejoice in our sufferings. Well, how the, how the hell do we do that? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Oh, oh. So the more I undergo, the more I'll be able to undergo and continue to win these growth battles. Yeah. And endurance, keep doing this often enough. You keep just rejoicing, giving thanks, living in this grace, knowing this, that you're going to share in whatever this thing, the glory of God is, you're going to share in that. You've got endurance. And that produces character. Character. It's something we don't talk much about anymore, because if we do, we're liable to get banned or shadow banned or something. But the Christian tradition has lost hold of the fact that the character that gets reproduced in us is that of Jesus. It's his character. Okay? And the more we become like him in the way that he relates to the Father— and the way that um, we relate to him and to each other, that's that produces a type of person. 
a person that's strong, steady, steadfast, loving, compassionate, all that stuff. And then he says, and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the spirit, which is given to us. Wow. There, there's a lot there. Because I, I immediately was thinking when we talked about hope, my, my mind immediately goes to um, kind of the default position with which I, the traditions I grew up in stuff that hope is about heaven, yeah. you know, hope, mm-hmm. hope is about going to heaven. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's odd because in line with what you just shared, Michael, um, I'm finding as I'm getting older and so many of my theological constructs that I clung to are uh, falling apart, deconstructing, going away. And, and I'm becoming more certain in his love, but less certain about things to do with eternity and things like that, that I used to be so certain about. In other words, what it looks like, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, But I'm finding my hope is, more solid Mm -hmm. than it used to be. So it's kind of strange. It's like, on the one hand, it's like, it used to just be like this done deal. You, you die, you go to heaven. And now it's like, I know there's a resurrection, but I don't know what that looks like. I I don't, I don't understand that at all. And, but yet I guess it's because in the midst of this, as, as you, that scripture you shared there, Michael, through the, through the, uh, the things I've encountered in this, time in my life, I've become more certain of how father cares for me. And so I I guess all I'm saying is it really becomes that your hope really does become him. Mm -hmm. It it stops being about this guarantee of, of an afterlife. It becomes a guarantee that my father cares for me. And uh, I, I find that fast. So many parts of what you shared, um, which I would I would like to touch on, because you mentioned uh, one of the things in the scripture talked about it uh, produces character. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned how that's absent and, and, and so much of the conversation and, and stuff nowadays. And, and I think you're absolutely right. And I, I would love to park there a little bit, expand on that and, uh, and, and kind of get you guys' thoughts on that. So, so let's pick up on that, how I've heard from the pulpit uh, that portion of scripture broken down. So let's start with suffering. No context read into that statement. No context of a um, community that's living under uh, Roman domination, that's seeing the the type of stuff that they're seeing, famines in that part of the land, you know, so on and so forth. The things Michael already addressed. No context of that. The only context is the context of you know, you're a typical two two car family, and one of the cars broke down, and and you're suffering. You know, and you know, that, or something like that. But if we endure suffering, uh, you know, then then we begin to learn patience that that we wait on God. We don't get in and create Ishmael's by doing our own thing. And Michael's already, if you can see his face, he already <laughs> sees where I'm going. But, you know, it's it's all about this. And, and patience, you know, patience creates this thing called character. And you know what character is? Character is Christian holiness. It's It's the things that 
you know, the world is able to do, but as Christians, we can't do because we have this character, this godly character. So we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, you know, we don't go with girls who do, you know. And eventually, because this character is worked into us, we, we have hope. And our hope is exactly what you were saying, Lauren. Our hope is that one day we'll get delivered from this world that makes us suffer persecution and we'll be in a in a beautiful perfect world with streets of gold and we get our own mansion you know and and in that mansion is every single thing that we ever wanted and there's a crystal sea and uh you know if you're into fishing you probably get to fish in that and if you're into boating you know or jet skis or whatever i mean it's all up there you know for you and that's our hope you know, and and it's like sit down and read the text. <laughs> None of that's in there. <laughs> but what? I don't get my jet skis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, you guys I want funny, that man. thing that lifts you up above it. You know, the shoot of water, and you're actually kind of like floating. What do they call that thing? I don't. I don't know. I don't just, it looks like fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. No, Anyhow, let's 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 just face it. What we've done is we have um, narcissized. Yes. Um, the concept of hope. There there are other texts in the New Testament that I think also do a, a good job of exploring hope. And 1 Corinthians 15 would be one of those texts. And Paul's very, very clear there that what makes the gospel the gospel is, in fact, that we will never be uh, just disembodied spirits. Thank God. We will, you know, I mean, you know, there's... um. There's a lot of talk today in the in this in the disciplines in the field of um, consciousness and these kinds of things, you know. And they've done, you know, I mean, I, they've done so much new research on when people are actually dying, what's happening inside the brain and all of that. It reminds me of that 1980s or 90s film Brainstorm with Christopher Walken, you know. Oh, okay. And. Um, there's a there's a lot of talk about our consciousness is merging with the divine consciousness kind of thing, okay, right? I, I could live with that. I mean, I could live with that in the sense that, yeah, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But the gospel narrative implies that the identity of who I am, who, who you know, who I am, is will I will remain. What I will be me, you know, anybody yeah. different. Now, whether, and this is something I think we, it's very important. You know, we, we have to think in terms of what people, what will I look like? Will I be young or older? You'll be anything you want to be at any point in, as you were in your life. You can manifest as a child. You can manifest as a teenager. You can manifest as an old man or woman. You can, you know, Jesus did. And he manifested himself in such a way that they couldn't even recognize him. 
You know, he had to identify himself. He had to say, you know, um, peace be with you and don't be afraid. And, and, you know, so so the body is important. That means that, that the creation is truly, it will truly be whatever renewed means for the creation. I don't know. I can't, you know, it's it the, the, the change, change is so important to the creation. It's always changing. It's in flux. It's moving. It's some, some waves are going up and other waves are going down and different things are happening all over everywhere, you know, and I can't imagine a universe, a, cre- a created physical universe where, you know, like all atomic particles are stable forever. I, it doesn't, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, and so I'm curious about a lot of these things, but the thing that, that I think that, that's important here in this resurrection of the body motif. When our more liberal friends say the resurrection was spiritual, not physical. Okay. They're, they're, I'm sorry. It's yet yeah, spiritual, not physical. They're partly right. It is spiritual, but they're failing to understand the category spiritual. In this case, it's eschatological spirit. The spirit is, is the eschatological event. This is that which Joel prophesied, you know. We spoke in the future, future's here, here's the Holy Ghost, right? And again, if we divide, if we live in a Platonic universe, the spirit and the flesh are going to be distinct. But if we don't live there, if we live in an integral universe, if we live in a quantum universe, if we allow ourselves to think this way, multi-dimensional universe and we recognize this as reality then there's there's no need to stumble on this physical part of the resurrection it's interesting you bring that up because this is in line with things i have been really questioning lately questioning not questioning like doubting questioning really curious about and uh, like like one for example jesus rose again physically he's alive physically and this one of those questions you're not supposed to ask in church. <laughs> Where is he? You know, because he's physical. So we don't see him. We know he's with us. So you see what I'm saying? Like, where exactly is he? Is he just like sitting on some throne on a cloud? Which I don't think that's the case. You know, so <laughs> you, do you get what I'm saying? Sure. So the Christian. Christian response to that is to note that he's at the right hand of the Father, all authority in heaven and on earth, and that's all you need to know. Right. Here's here's one of the more interesting things about Jesus. When you compare Jesus' apocalyptic with other Jewish apocalyptic, other Jewish apocalyptic is loaded with speculation about the afterlife. You find almost none of that in Jesus' teaching. Interesting. Yeah. And then, and then it was interesting because you brought up uh, basically quantum physics. You know how uh, you, you mentioned on that uh, on a what was the term you used about the universe being uh, quantum dimensional or something like multi-dimensional. that? Multi-dimensional. Yeah, yeah multi-dimensional. And and that's been one of the things that has crossed my mind a lot because we we know that 
Plato isn't the correct source on this as far as, like you said, we're not a disembodied spirit floating around somewhere because that's how was the typical way that, you know, a lot of us have been taught, you know, that you're sitting in heaven in some spirit world. But it's interesting because if it's multidimensional, then it's been science has basically been uncovering that it is possible to have physical worlds existing at the same time. Yes. So, I, I mean, I just find that really fascinating that it's actually uncovering the reality that that um, they're very much a resurrected Jesus, very much walking around, <laughs> you right. know, I, I just find that, you know, that that gives me some uh, peace of mind. As, as we're talking here, we're I almost hesitate to use the word I, I'm thinking of, but we're we're debunking this concept of our hope is in an eternal resurrection where everything is perfect, everything is, you know, everything is beautiful, you know. It's <laughs> like, you know, um, and, and we're, looking at, we're looking at hope as something that abides. We're looking at hope as something that is produced in us Mm-hmm. Actually, as a as a uh, end result of uh, uh, of a process that begins with suffering, mm-hmm. and I'm also thinking about a, a, a different, even though the word hope is not used in this passage, but a, a different uh, portion of scripture that, in my mind, um, talks about hope, and that's that the whole of creation is groaning. Yes, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Yes, that there, there, it's, it's that's that groaning is a hope, if you will, mm-hmm. that they will be released from something. And and I, I, I think we need to, um, if we're going to talk about hope, I think you know we need to take a look at okay, then what is our hope? Michael, you were talking, You excuse me, you were sharing earlier a scripture. And that word hope was very closely linked to, you know, it's kind of like a couple of steps away from, but very closely linked to the sharing of the gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's in the sharing of the gospel, which is, Obviously, we've addressed this on multiple occasions. It's obviously more than um, carefully going through the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or whatever you want to call it. Um, but the sharing of, the, of the, the gospel, of the good news, the gospel begins. And in a way, I would almost say that it begins and ends in the cross in an understanding of the cross, in an understanding of a God who never changes, has always been the same, past, present, and will continue to be the same in the future, a nonviolent God, never been violent, a God who has always fulfilled every tenet of what love is. And I find that the more I begin to understand what the gospel really is, what the good news really, what is redemption? What is salvation? What is 
what did God do when he reconciled all men to himself? Now I begin to understand hope. And and hope to me is somehow it's it's married to that gospel, that that gospel, as it begins to go out in the into the world, as more and more people get the gospel, if you will, as more and more people come to this place of uh, nonviolence, of what real love looks like, and manifesting real love. And we're talking, in, in my mind, a person who manifests true love, what real love is, is a man who has come to character. Now we begin to see a hope that actually redeems mankind, and in redeeming mankind, it's redeeming the the world itself, the earth itself. That gives me hope. However, it gives it gives me hope, at least right now, for about three or four generations from now. Yeah, all right. I would like to see it in the next 10 years, because that's about how long I think I have left. Maybe 20. <laughs> but I don't think so. <laughs> it's interesting when we talk about, you know, how suffering producing character and that that produces hope. Um, how we talk about how the current generation and stuff, we read all those articles and things about the hopelessness that so many feel. And it's interesting how comfortable we are. You know, so it's just it's just kind of interesting that it's like, again, that upside down kingdom where it's like how we talk about the first will be last, last will be first, everything being upside down. Um, our our comprehension says, oh, no, no, ease, having it easy, wealth, riches, which I, I'm not complaining about, um, but that that's the pathway to hope. And yet that's not what that scripture says. It says it's the complete opposite of what we're thinking. And and then it's interesting too when you were talking, Jim, about how the gospel, knowing who our Father is, that He is love, knowing who He is, that that really is the source of hope. And I was thinking of kind of a picture of this of when I was a kid. If I'm sitting in a classroom and I get a, I, I, the person comes in with the pass for me to go see the principal, I'm nervous. Is it because this could be good or this could be bad? Because with the principal, I have no idea. I could be getting detention. I could be getting an award. Um, and that's how so many view it going with the father. Is, is, is this a good thing or a bad thing? They don't know. And where on the other hand, it, when I was a, a kid, if somebody said, here's a, a letter from your grandpa, grandpa wants to see you. Oh, this is good. <laughs> you know, there's no doubt in my mind that this is good. And, and, and so I was thinking of that, that that's part of the thing that's missing in Christianity is if we have a violent God image or a, a God who is, um, who is two-faced, then we don't know what we're getting. So you, you live in a place of uncertainty mm-hmm. where if you know God is love, you can, like you said, Jim, you can rest in that. There's a, another text that makes very similar moves. Uh, to the moves Paul made in Romans 5, and that's in Hebrews chapter 12. And so if we remember, Paul's going to start with, um, you know, the access in which we stand, then he moves from suffering, rejoicing in suffering, endurance, 
character, hope, in that order, right? Interestingly enough, Hebrews 12 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There's that suffering and endurance theme. In your struggle against sin, have you yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as children? My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are, and the translation here reads, punished by him. I don't care for that. For whom the Lord disciplines, he loves, and chastises everyone and every child whom he receives. It is for discipline you have chosen to endure. God is treating you as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if you're a Christian and you're not suffering, you're not a child of God. The, and this line of thought that we see in Romans 5 and this right here, just it's, it's, it's an immovable force crushing over this whole dominion theology thinking, this whole blessing theology that's out there in the charismania world. You know, God wants you to have it all. Well, there's 8 billion people on the planet. How can we all have it all? You know, it's right. through, you know. But the point here is, is that this writer opens up now a new perspective. He says, when you're going through life, consider that God is your teacher. God is teaching you. When you suffer, that's not the bad thing. The bad thing is how you react to it instead of respond to it. That's the first thing. Most people react to suffering, even I do, rather than responding to, to pain. Okay, And then the, the other thing is, is that if we take this concept of learning lessons, it really does mean that, that the whole of our existence is as a pupil, as a student. We are to learn about life, about God, about ourselves, about our neighbors, about suffering produces these, you know, in, in these kinds of things, changes in the head, changes in the heart, you know. And, and he, the writer says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. You know, I would, I would rather have a father, a God concept, as it were, that did in fact have boundaries and was working with me to make me a better human being than I would a deist God that didn't give a shit to poops. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's a really good point, Michael. And I, and I think, um, I, I like how the word, how you said like punishment isn't really the favorable word there, but discipline. Um, because I immediately think of, and Jim, you would relate to this. Um, when a soldier goes into the military, he's disciplined. He learns discipline to be a good soldier. He, he, he's not being disciplined because he's a bad person and the army's going to punish him. They're, they're doing it to make him a better soldier. And, and I think of discipline forming character. Um, you know, there are things that growing up, my parents, I'm sure all of us could relate, have had me do because it would make me a better person. Learning to be on time, <laughs> you know, when, when I was a little kid, I didn't like having to get up in the morning and do everything they said. Th things is, that's very trivial stuff, but it's, but it's, it's the discomfort 
of that is a mark of love because you're being molded into being a, a in the natural world and a good functioning, decent person. And in, in Christ, we're learning to become more loving, to become more like him. And that takes discipline because to become a more loving person, it means I can't be all focused on me. And that's painful <laughs> when I'm programmed to only think about me to start thinking about others and, and so forth. And so I, I think that that's a good, uh, I, I like that word discipline being used there. Man, man, I was following you until, until we're talking about parental discipline. And I'm wondering, did I ever learn the lesson I was supposed to learn having to clean up the dog kennel poop year after year? <laughs> 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 I'll tell you one so, that, that this one really got through to me. I there was a time my friends and I were goofing around. We had a Dodge van growing up, and and uh, one of the camper vans like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. And my friends locked me out of the van, and I was pounding on the window, and I cracked the window. And I had to tell my dad I cracked the window, and my dad so calmly uh, he 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 says to me, Lauren, you have to learn to control your temper. Because you cannot go through life flying off the handle when you're upset about things. He goes, so you're going to spend a week weeding the yard to think about this. <laughs> that lesson got through to me very well, especially as the neighborhood kids all learned, found out what happened. And they're seeing me out front weeding the yard. Oh, yeah, you got in trouble, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> yep. So I, I'm thinking about what you're saying and and almost without fail – our our mind immediately goes to times we were punished and equating that with discipline. And, um, you know, Michael said, well, I don't really like in this translation that word because I think it's something different than that. And granted, as human beings with human fathers, um at least the generation that most of us grew up, two of us grew up in. Lauren, you're a little behind us, but <laughs> not much. You're not that so much younger than us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kid on the program. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow um, my dad leaned in the direction of uh, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of thing, you know. So he spared it and spoiled you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Uh, he was kind of the uh, my, my, yeah, my, beat, him, beat him with a rod right and they will not die, you know. <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, but I was thinking about another aspect of discipline, and that's the aspect of I was not, uh, full disclosure, I was not a good student. Now, I can blame that on a lot of different things. We moved 25, 30 times uh, before uh, I got to junior high. Wow. And um, so you get to one school district and they're ahead of the last school district. You get to another one and they're behind this one. And, you know, and so I, I, at a very early age, I checked out of the school system in my it, mentally. And mm -hmm. so I would sit there. I, I remember in high school walking into one class, and the second I walked into the class, I would lay my head down on the desk and go to sleep. And, you know, it's like, okay, I mean, I literally checked out. 
So I didn't get good grades. So my dad would explain to me, because I suffered all the way through school. I suffered. And my dad would explain to me, son, if you applied yourself, if you had character, in essence, you wouldn't be suffering. You could get out of this. All right. Now, take that. I, I That wasn't the school punishing me. And my dad wasn't punishing me either. He was trying to disciple or discipline me. Bring me to a place of discipline where my character would be shaped in a certain way. And so it's not a, a fully um, proper anal- uh, you know, illustration of what we're talking about here. But we are talking about in this world, you do suffer persecution. If you're living, if you're living in the gospel, you're going to suffer. The discipline is not God beating us. You know, there's the King James says, and he scourges everyone he calls a son, you know, and that brings up all kinds of things. Scourging, you know, that's, that's a cat of nine tails across the back, Mm. you know. Um, but the reality, okay. is, <laughs> yes. I'm the reality is he's right there sitting down and, and teaching us valuable lessons. We've already talked about that. Michael read the scripture. The valuable lesson of endurance and how that endurance, enduring that suffering, produces a, a, a godly character. And that character gives me hope. And, and the hope doesn't make, make me ashamed. And, and in reality, without that process, I find myself potentially ashamed. I'm walking through I'm walking through the corridors of the schoolyard and I'm ashamed because I know I'm a loser, if you will. You know, I'm failing and, and all my friends know it too. I mean they yeah, there's a guy that goes to sleep every day in class, you know. There's a guy that gets called on to go work out a simple math equation on the blackboard and he can't you know, he can't do it. And the whole class laughs at him. And, you know, there's that guy, you know. And it's like, I'm ashamed. But if I go through the process of the disciplining of the Lord, which is not the belt, he doesn't take his belt off and, okay, I'm going to scourge you. It's, it's this, son, let's sit down and let me explain to you how things work in the kingdom. My ways are not your ways, okay? There's ways that work in the kingdom that if you apply those, it doesn't stop the the persecution, if you will. It might even increase it. It might even increase your suffering. But let me show you how you can endure the suffering. 
and you can endure it with patience. And as we begin to listen to, you know, uh, I, I, I love our Native American friends um, who call him grandfather. And Lauren, you mentioned that earlier. It's like, as we sit at the foot of grandfather and listen to him teach us about the kingdom, how the kingdom works, it's like we're being disciplined. We're being discipled into the kingdom, not into a dominionist heaven on earth, uh, you know, get them off my back and have my best life now, you know. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, how do I say this? I, I don't want to sound too, um, too out there, although I think everybody knows I'm already out there, out there, but um, <laughs> the church never gave me a way to listen to God. Um, they gave me a book, and they said, God speaks through the book. And then the moment they gave me the book, they said, and everybody fights over it. Everybody fights over it. And it was like, if God is speaking, you know, so clearly, well, why can't we all just kind of like figure it out together, right? So the church never taught me how to listen to the voice of the creator. I had to learn that through aboriginal practices, you know, the Native American tradition. I've learned it through um, my personal interest in energy work, you know, things like uh, Reiki and Tarot and um, other uh, disciplines that discern energies. And, and that's all it is. It's not fatalism. It's not prediction. Uh, it's just a discernment of energies. And Nicholas Tesla, who's perhaps the greatest scientist of the 20th century, uh, said that everything is vibrations, frequencies, and energies. And so the church never taught me how to discern an energy. So some people have the gift of discerning spirits. But, they, you know, those very same people were often the ones that always managed to discern a spirit in people they didn't like. Well, <laughs> right, exactly. So, so I had to learn outside of the church how to hear the voice of the Father. And I always just thought that that was sad, you know. And I mean, even, I mean, the monastic tradition, I, th I think you have a better shot at it. Because you're practicing, you know, the liturgy of the hours. Um, you're doing your your quiet times, your meditative times in your in your room, your cell. Um, there there might be a, you know greater opportunity for that, but for most Christians, man, it's just like they they literally cannot hear the voice of God. They they can't sit in their backyard and let the Father speak to them. You know they've objectified the natural world to begin with. You know, rather than seeing themselves in this beautiful, lush vegetation is all one. So anyway, I'm just thinking out loud there for a moment, because my hope is that um, how, however it works out, um, it will be beautiful and beneficial. And I can't, you know, and I, again, I want to say the New Testament doesn't give us an eschatology doesn't give us a view of the afterlife, but what it does suggest is that a very uh, beautiful, wonderful, uh, and uh, and can manifest tangibly still. 
Yeah, I, I even take great comfort in the uh, the beliefs of the very early church, where they would meet in the catacombs and uh, and and eat meals together, and very much believe that the uh, that their dead loved ones were participating. Oh, with them. yeah. Um, and that's something Protestants, oh my gosh, you know, but, but I take great comfort in that because they believed so heartily that the resurrection was so real that they were very much present with them. Right. And, uh, and, and I find that beautiful. I find that to be wonderful because I mean, that speaks of a hope that's not just, um, oh yeah, I mentally believe this. It's like, no, this is real. This is reality. They're really here. They're really still alive. Right. And, uh, and that takes that that's comforting. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Yeah. And, uh, and you hit on a, a, a passion button of mine, Michael is, is being able to discern the voice of God, of our father, because for me, when, when I learned how to do that, and it's always a growing process, but when I began to, first of all, even know that he was doing that. I shared last week about going out in the woods to have it out with him because I, I thought he didn't do that. And I was mad about it. And then I found out he does. I just was ever taught that. <laughs> um, that. That has been probably, I would say probably, if not the most, one of the most profound uh, changes in my life because that really has been my life, my lifeblood for for the last since that was when I was 21, I guess. So I'm 51 now. So do the math, 30, 30 years. Um, that has been what has sustained me um, because there, there are, there are heartaches that I have because I felt that glitch inside and did it anyway, um, where there were like, and we're talking not just dumb little sins. We're talking financial decisions and stuff where this looks good. This makes sense. This looks wise. And, uh, and just kind of had that little glitch inside. Don't do it. And uh, got a one was right before the economic collapse in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Invested in real estate and uh, and had a glitch about. But what could go wrong? Real estate goes up and up and up, right? Um, so learn the hard way on that one. Don't ignore that no, nudge, no. you know. Um, and, uh, and 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 yep. And then what's funny is Lily told me afterwards this she felt the same thing. She had the same nudge, but thought, well, you know, Lauren must really know what he's doing. <laughs> and she learned on that one too. No, no, no. <laughs> we need to speak up. And, uh, but, but anyway, it's, it's, I don't find it as a judgmental thing of like Christians don't hear the voice of God, blah, blah, blah. I find it just sad and tragic because I feel like you're missing out on one of the most beautiful aspects of our heavenly father, because he's alive. And to me, that's the evidence that he's alive, that he's talking to us. He's interacting with us and he's, he's directing us. And, and, uh, and, and just to not have that, I don't even, I, I don't know how, how people can live without that. I mean, you can, it's, it's just frustrating and lonely and you, you bang into walls till you've, know which way to go or something, but, but it's so, it's just such a beautiful thing to, you know, just be able to have that place where you can tune in and what are you saying to me today, father, you know? Um, and, and so often it's, it's just waking up in the morning of, I love you, you know, you're mine, you know, and just, just having that place of just getting my compass set right you know, in, in the morning. And it makes it so much easier as a manager to go in and deal with cranky people, yeah, you know, when I know I'm loved. 
It's a good thing God loves me or you'd be in <laughs> Exactly. Well, and it's and and it's just like we've said before, and, and this goes to the thing of hope, that we do respond out of who we think God is. Mm-hmm. And so if if I think God is nitpicking me and hard on me, guess how I'm going to be with all those people that I'm in charge of in the, my department? Right. I'm going to be exactly like that okay. with them. But but like it's like when I'm presenting something and this person is really resisting change and doesn't want to change, it's like I understand because every, often my heavenly father's trying to get me to change and I'm not wanting to do it. <laughs> You know, so I get it, you know, and so you have that ability. It's it's living Jesus incarnate, his life of how he came and he identifies with us because he was one of us. So is one of us. Yeah. So that gives me hope. That gives me tremendous hope. And, and I think what uh, the both of you are talking about hearing hearing the voice of the Lord or, or however you want to say that being sensitive to those gentle nudges or whatever. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And and being a charismatic, I have a hope. I have a hope that what are considered or called the charismatic gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, will eventually move into the realm of being kingdom-oriented rather than human profit making oriented uh, you know that that there is a true discerning of spirits but that that discerning of spirits moves out of the realm that that michael was talking about of i discern that that person i don't like is you know operating under a foul spirit so we've got to ostracize him or or kick the demons out or or whatever we've got to do that jezebel Uh, spirit there the jezebel spirit yeah there you go and um but that it would that it would truly be the manifestation of kingdom life in the community of believers that we would manifest the one who we claim that we love, that in doing that, when and where a spiritual gift, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, let's let's take the gift of prophesying. You know, prophecy is for edification, exhortation, comfort. That I come to a, a brother that I see is down, and I say, you know, here's the word of the Lord for you. And it it edifies him, it builds him up, it comforts him. Not, uh, you know, the thus saith the Lord, surely I will make you a great person and you will be, and, and, you know, tens of thousands of people will come to the light of your glory. And, you know, that kind of, that kind of, you know, and I've heard prophecies like that, you know. Me, me, both um, come to church. <laughs> Exactly, and then you can take an offering, and then you can take an offering, and you know, or write a book. (laughs) You too can write a book and make millions. A bestseller. Yeah. (laughs) Off off the subject, but I get oh my gosh! About every other Facebook post now is how I can use. AI or or whatever to promote my book and you know 
and uh, just buy their program, and they will teach me how to sell ten thousand books in the next six months. You know. Yeah. My my problem yeah, okay. is AI. It's called artificial intelligence, right? What do what, yeah. what do we have? Real intelligence? Is this like is this margarine oh, compared course. to butter? I mean, how are we to understand artificial intelligence, right? Exactly. Well, well, that's a good point. Exactly. And then the second thing is, if artificial intelligence is better than our intelligence, what's real intelligence? <laughs> That's true. That's true. And yeah, and if we're not even as good as artificial, then yeah, what what are we? What's beneath artificial? I mean, good grief. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so what have, we, what have we accomplished today? What have we what have we learned? What are the takeaways on this? Yeah, um as far as hope. Well, we've learned that Suffering actually does produce hope because as our character grows, that we, uh, our hope, we, we then have hope. Um, what else? What do you guys want to add to that? Well, I, I, I want to jump on that for a minute. Suffering can produce hope. Correct. It doesn't hope. That's good. But only if I, I see that the suffering is not the discipline of the Lord. Okay. But the suffering brings me to the place to to say, if you will, father or grandfather or or great spirit or 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 Yahweh, however we want to address them. Can you can you talk to me? Can you disciple me? Can you discipline me through this suffering that I'm I'm experiencing here? Show me how to walk the path. Show me how to walk the path. And and if I will do that, if I will, some, and, and, you know, I didn't like it when my dad kind of turned things back on me. You know what, son, if you applied yourself in school, it wouldn't be so hard. I didn't like that. No, no discipline seems joyous in the moment. And many years later, after school and all that many years later i came to the place where you know what there are certain things that i wished i would have learned i wish i would have learned uh simple math i i didn't think i would ever need it in my life i need it every day i wish i learned how to spell and i applied myself to those things and I'm not the best, but I'm not bad. And, you know, but my dad tried to get me to understand that I could have applied myself back when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. And I would have learned, <laughs> you know. And and so I, I think the point, I think the point being is that suffering is not the direct route to hope. If we don't put the equation in there that we submit ourselves to the discipline of the Lord uh, as to an, gaining an understanding of how we live our life as we're, being, as we're suffering. 
I immediately go back to, I've shared this before on this podcast, sweet Mrs. Marin, who lived around the block from me, how she said, your problems can make you either a bitter person or a better person. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right, because it's, it's that decision of, am I going to learn from father in this? Or am I just going to let this sicken me? And, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Am I, am I just going to let this make me a hopeless person? And I think we all know some bitter, not always older, but in many cases, older people who have refused to submit themselves to the discipline and therefore have just become bitter. Yeah. angry people yeah well it's like, it's like we, yeah. if we don't learn the lessons we're going to keep getting set back to the same classroom you know and and so one of the things i've done a lot of reflecting on now this this last year especially um has has been my relationships um particularly with with partners personal partners you know marriage wives girlfriends all that and I've just done a lot of reflecting on on that, and um, it's in that reflecting process that I can own my mistakes. I can own my hurt, my pain, and I can come to terms with the fact that I don't. This is not the way I can will behave anymore. I've learned the lesson here. You know, this is touch the stove, you get burnt. Oh, okay, right, right. So um, now as I'm, you know, shifting into a a new phase of life and, um, you know, hoping to find another life partner somewhere, maybe if I get lucky, um, I'm not bringing that baggage from the past with me, okay? Because we don't learn, we just keep adding more and more baggage and we wonder why our lives feel heavy laden, you know? And I've, I've just decided I'm moving into the future with a backpack full of dreams. That's all I need. You know, I don't need the... I had to process an awful lot of stuff this last number of years. And, yeah, I guess I'm doing kind of a spiritual colon cleanse here on this program. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Part, part of the metaphor, that was kind of, ooh. <laughs> But in, in, in what you're saying, that's giving you hope that this time around is going to be different than the last time. Right. Am, am I correct in, in uh, making that assumption? Yeah, you, you absolutely are, Jim. I, the, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish it were possible to um, figure out a proper way to share my, my worldview, which is very integral, you know, there's more wisdom right now about how to live life. And in, in, in a sense, in a sense, uh, become a, a Christian, that is to learn how suffering produces um, whatever produces endurance, character, hope, right? In the, there's in what the Christians call the pagan world, there's far better resources for growth into becoming a better human being than there is in the church, you know, and whether it's liberal utopianism, everybody's good. Everybody's good. Except the people I don't like, they voted for Trump, you know, or the conservative tradition. Everybody's bad. Everybody's bad. Except those of us believe in Jesus. 
You know, it, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting because I was just listening yesterday to some clips from a lawyer of all people who was talking about um, good communication skills because he's a trial lawyer and he and some of the things he said is like it was like what to do if somebody's talking over you, uh, what to do if somebody is is firm in their beliefs and won't listen to yours. Um, and it was actually all really good input, but it's like, you don't hear that stuff in, in most Christian circles, like you said, yeah. um, you know, and, but, but it was, it was some really good wisdom. Um, and it was very human in the sense of, for the person stuck in their beliefs of, of listening to them, hearing them, but don't, uh, don't hold your position as staunch because you make them get defense, right. defensive. Anyway, it was just good common relational skills that um, because love is not rude, it's good for us to learn those things. Right. Now, I don't, I don't think this is stuff that should be preached from a pulpit. The pulpit. The oh, gospel. no. Well, I'm just saying it because there's far too many sermons. Pastors are intellectually lazy, and so they, they do the, oh, I'm going to do a practical series on marriage and a practical series on raising kids and a biblical approach to whatever it is, you know. Uh, it, that's lazy. That's absolutely lazy. I can, that's not what I'm referring to. Yeah, I, I hear you because for me, I was just listening to uh, flipping stations and ran across sermon. I was like, this guy's just psychologizing his way through his whole sermon. And, uh, and, and I agree with you. I, I think that's more happens relationally, you know, when I'm having you over for dinner, yeah. you know, or something that's, that's where that happens. Um, I think, I think I, I went to church a few weeks ago for the first time in like eight, nine years or more 10 years, you know, except for when I preach. When I preach, I'm in church, right? But otherwise, yeah. I, go, I don't know if I told you guys. Walked in. Big church. Grace church. It's a grace church. Walked in. And the energies in that room, just from, you know, okay, I knew it was going to be a bad experience. Oh, no. And it was. And the preacher, you know, when he gets up on the stage, he's in his 50s, late 50s, a little portly guy, you know, railing on about the sins of America, but he has his eating issues. Um, he's going to exegete verse by verse the epistle to the Ephesians, and he spends 35 friggin' minutes on the first two verses, right? That's the most painful part was he said, next week we're going to do verses 3 to 14. <laughs> oh, my God, that beautiful hymn. And, you know, oh, I don't know what he did. I don't know. I didn't go back. But it was <laughs> like being intellectually waterboarded. Wow. It was oh, oh my, it was everything. I, I, I'm holding myself in my seat because I went with my neighbor friend. It's his church, you know, and I'm trying to be polite and nice. And I'm just, oh, my Lord. Have, I had to come home and brush the house out and set, incense it out with sage, man, just to get back to myself. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. Oh, it was awful. Oh, man. It was awful. <laughs> Well, everybody, we're at time. So, everybody, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you. And, uh, Jim, where could people find your book? On Amazon.com. All right. And, Michael, where could people find your, your book and videos? Uh, 
Yeah, Amazon and YouTube. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll talk to you all again next week. 